0: middle of the country but not middle of the road opinions it's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world I'm wichita. wichita kansas and beyond with tommy castor and weston mills this is Keeper of the Games.
1: Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Keeper of the Games. We are the wildly underqualified yet mildly entertaining podcast all about sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas and beyond. For Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor back for another episode. Weston, it seems like just yesterday I saw you. We've been doing a lot of episodes in a short period of time, but it's good
0: to see your face today. Tommy, we got college football. We've got Bass NBA playoffs. We've got baseball going on. We've got the Chiefs. We've got KU. We've got K-State. There's so much going on. The Big Ten's back, so college football's even more legitimized. Uh, There's rumors swirling in the air. Pac-12's about to be back. Potentially the Mountain West. We're going to get a full college football slate. It's hard to complain, man.
1: Yeah, this is really what the sports fan is living for. I mean, I know, obviously, things are different because, you know, we're living in a pandemic world, but there's a lot of sports that are either currently happening or on the verge of coming back. And uh, so if you're just an overall sports fan, uh, it's time to be pretty excited with, you know, obviously, football is back and baseball. And, you know, you mentioned it all, uh, but it's definitely an exciting time to be a sports fan. And I don't know about you, Weston, but I've got like my phone is going off constantly with notifications about all these different sporting events going on it's it's a it's a good feeling right
0: yeah it really is especially i mean there's so much of our of our local teams too it's not just that sports are back i mean you know we're, we're constantly trying to balance between following the royals following the chiefs check in on you know with what's the, you know kuk state we're gonna touch this episode on college basketballs on the horizon it, it really is sports overload and i for a second will not complain about it
1: Yeah, we've got, again, a lot to get to on this episode. We have a lot to get to on every episode. Who are we kidding? But really excited about this one. A lot to talk about here on this new episode of Keeper of the Games. We want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you'll get a notification. That's really important because the last couple of weeks or so, we've sort of strayed away from our traditional new episodes dropping on Thursday morning type routine and having some different kinds of episodes on different days of the week. Uh, So definitely subscribe so you'll get notifications. Notified whenever we have a brand new episode. Of course, you can listen to us on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast. Basically, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, you can find Keeper of the Games right there. Also, if you'd like to look at our faces while you listen to the podcast, you can watch video episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games, and you can go to our website to watch them as well, cogpod.weebly.com. And you can always follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram at CogPod. That's at K O G Pod. So again, a lot to talk about on this episode of Keeper of the Games. But before we get into talking about the Kansas City Chiefs and college basketball and the Royals and prep football and all of the other things going on in the world of sports, we have a very special guest here on Keeper of the Games. And Weston, I've always said, and I know that you'd agree with me, that it's one thing to just hear you and I blabber on and on and on about our opinions and hot takes and terrible opinions on sports. But it's always a lot of fun to have a guest on the program. And we've got a, a brand new guest here on this episode of Keeper of the Game. Scott Welsh joins us here today. He is the director of membership at Crestview Country Club. And Weston, we talked about, you know, all the different sporting events that are, are going on right now. or getting ready uh, to, to take place, especially here locally. The Wichita Open is just around the corner a week from now at Crestview Country Club. And so Scott Welsh, who is the director of membership at Crestview Country Club, joins us here on Keeper of the Games to talk about the Wichita Open and a lot of other things going on in the world of Crestview Country Club. So, Scott, welcome to the show.
2: Weston, Tommy, appreciate uh, appreciate you having me. Thank you.
1: We're excited to have you on, Scott. We've been talking uh, to you for a while about coming on the podcast. And so uh, we're excited to have you here as a guest today. So, obviously, the Wichita Open is next week at Crestview. It's going to be a little bit different this year. And, you know, I think first things first, the biggest thing that's different is the fact that the date is changed. And it was was supposed to be in June. You know, historically, the Wichita Open is the last weekend in June. uh, But now we're looking uh, for golf at Crestview in September. So, uh, walk our listeners through what the Wichita Open is going to be looking like next week at Crestview.
2: Well, first of all, minus twenty degrees, which I'm sure the tour players are going to love because usually in June, you know, it's we all know it's uh, hundred plus degrees and the the wind is blowing. So it'll be interesting to uh, uh, to see them tackle Crestview Country Club in eighty degree weather versus a hundred. Um, you know, last year the Wichita Open was nominated for Tournament of the Year on the Crest or on the uh, Cornberry Tour, and that's voted on by the players. So what a what a great honor um, for that event. And I know our members at Crestview uh, really appreciate that. It's always a week for them to kind of bring some guests out and shine. However, that is going to look a little dip- different this year.
1: Yeah. So of course, you know, the, the other major difference, not only just the date change, but the fact that, you know, there will be no spectators in attendance uh, to watch the Wichita open, which, you know, that's a, it's a huge, you know, popular event year after year. And just, you know, I, I always think about the 17th green and what that experience is like, and, and more so than just that, but all the different, you know, experiences and activities that go on throughout the entire week, traditionally, and even just people that are coming out to the grounds to walk around and follow their favorite golfers and to just watch live golf. It's going to be a little bit of a different atmosphere this year than in years past, right?
2: Yeah, no doubt. And it's it's time to start seeing if you know any friends that own uh, that own a home around the golf course. <laughs> sure, yeah, that's where the that's where the parties are going to be. And you're right, Tommy. I mean that you know if, if your listeners have never been out to this event, uh, that that 17th hole is is pretty remarkable. And and every year. Um, you know, golfers and non-golfers. I mean, it's just an opportunity, and really, what is so strong about it from from our standpoint is it's a it's a great community service that Crestview provides and, and community outreach, really, to bring all these people together and watch some of the best players in the world uh, play golf and have a beverage of choice. There's a few of those out there on the <laughs> on the seventeenth hole as well, but. Yeah, it's, uh, the course is in great shape. And you're right. The, the 17th, it's really disappointing, um, unfortunately, um, because as the largest sporting event in Wichita, what it does for our community and bringing people together. And I was really hoping that by the time we got to this, um, we wouldn't be wearing masks anymore and everything would be lifted. And I, I know for a fact we would have uh, probably broke a lot of records in terms of attendance. But Nonetheless, the event uh, does kick off next week. Um, Some great players. You know, I was thinking the other day, uh, wouldn't it be cool if you could kind of foresee in the future a little bit over the past 20 years that the event has been at Crestview where you could have gone out and followed the likes of Justin Thomas, uh, Bubba Watson, uh, most recently Colin Marikawa that won the PGA Championship. All of those guys – um, have stepped foot on Crestview and played when they were up and coming. So um, I've been a PGA professional for 26 years and people have always asked me, what's the, what's the main difference between the Korn Ferry Tour player and the PGA Tour player? And it's really very, very simple. It's right here. And that's really the difference. It's the mental side of it because these guys are coming out here to Crestview shooting 15 to 20 under par and, and making all kinds of incredible shots. They got the game. Uh, the difference for a lot of these guys is can they mentally get to that next level? So it's going to be a great week. Um, find somebody that you know around the, the golf course and knock on their door because that's how you're going to be able to watch it this year.
0: Scott, I kind of want to piggyback off, off something that you had said and, and kind of talking about, you know, hey, you, you felt like you had a good build up to, to what would have been, you know, the open here. What, what are you guys kind of looking to do to keep that momentum really going, you know, through the tournament, but, but maybe more importantly next year, you know, as hopefully surely, you know, fans will be back. And, and in particularly at a time when golf as a whole has, they really, I think, put themselves out there being the first sport back did so much to help growth. I I know for myself, in fact, you know, as a very, very, very casual follower, I have followed more this year. And I, I was listening today during the US Open, they mentioned that, you know, winged foot had its highest number of participants over the last couple of months, or I think it doubled from the previous year, even so, you know, is there something that you guys are kind of looking to do to kind of build off that momentum?
2: Yeah, good question. I mean, from a from a golf standpoint, Weston, it is amazing since the pandemic hit what uh, the activity that's been at Crestview. And I think for a lot of people that either used to play golf, uh, maybe didn't have the time or for, for whatever all those reasons are, when we started first talking about social distancing, uh, golf kind of came right to the to the forefront of it because it's that sport where you could. So Suddenly, all these people started coming back to to play, and my phone was ringing off the hook. You know, with with nothing else to do in Wichita, with families going, "Hey, I'm looking for a fun, safe environment uh, to bring my family." Um, and so, golf's been a little re-energized in terms of you know keeping the momentum going. Here's what's going to happen: we're going to finish this event next week, get through Thanksgiving and Christmas, and this event's coming back in June next year. So right after the the first of the year we don't obviously start setting up right then but uh, I'm sure everybody at the Wichita open um, they're gonna start start planning right away so there's not a lot of downtime um, and you'll have uh, two PGA tour events within uh, what eight months at Crestview so that's uh, that's, that's kind of exciting.
1: You know, Scott, I always love the collaboration with the Wichita Open because obviously, you know, you've got yourself and, you know, the team at at Crestview, James Hippie and, you know, everybody there. Then obviously Roy Turner and his staff with the Wichita Open. And then, of course, the partnership with the Corn Ferry Tour from on a year to year basis. I mean, obviously it's a, it's a huge undertaking regardless if there are spectators or, or no spectators. Um, but what does that collaboration look like this year when it's been such a different set of circumstances?
2: Yeah. Triple the meetings, uh, triple the paperwork. Uh, you know, I was obviously at the club today and, uh, you know, took a picture of a sign that said COVID testing. I was like, that's just, you know, so bizarre. So, you know, not being on the Wichita open side, I can't really speak for them in terms of what they they've actually been going through. But for us, uh, you know, part of our clubhouse will be shut down to the players and we will in essence create our own bubble of uh, just like, you know, the NBA where players are on a certain end of the building. Um, the club is still open to the members, the dining room for that particular week. Um, but Everybody's probably a little on edge, you know, making sure that that this thing goes off without a hitch. And there's there's just lots of moving parts. Um, So, again, from our standpoint and and again, kind of guessing from Wichita Open, it's been uh, there's been some sleepless nights, I'm sure.
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I go back to, you know, you mentioning a few minutes ago, just, you know, some of the names of the players that have played in the Wichita Open in years past. And you mentioned Justin Thomas, who at the time of this recording is leading the U S open right now at winged foot, you know, shot five under, you know, today, which is just incredible. And, and so you, you're definitely, you have in years past have had the opportunity, you know, to see the future stars come through Wichita and play at Crestview. And I think that a lot of people underestimate the overall popularity of the Wichita open and the, the, the history of the Wichita Open. You know, I know it was one of the, the four original tournaments on kind of golf's minor league tour, uh, which is great. You mentioned at the beginning, you know, of the program, Scott, about the awards that the Wichita Open has won. Uh, but obviously, it's not just the Wichita Open, it's not just the tournament, it's also the course, it's also the club, it's also the facility. Um, let's talk a little bit about the history of Crestview Country Club and sort of, you know, some of the things that you guys have on the horizon and I know there's a big anniversary coming up.
2: Yeah, there is. Uh, 20, uh, 1921, Crestview was formed. I'm not sure a lot of people know this, but it uh, uh, used to be Brayburn Golf Course. Uh, now, what is that? Innovation Campus, maybe over yeah. at, at WSU. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the original Crestview Country Club, 1921 to 1969, where they moved and bought the property where we currently are now, um, so going to be a big year next year. We've got lots of really good things planned, um, you know, and, and to be able to uh, uh, put two Robert Trent Jones golf courses out there on display for our members to, to play every day is, is quite an honor to go to, go to work each day there.
1: Yeah, no, without a doubt. I, you know, I I will always say, and I'm a little biased because I'm a member at, at, at Crestview. I have been for the last several years. Um, but I will always say, Scott, that as far as clubs in Wichita, you're not going to find a better value because you've got two golf courses that you can play, you know, and that's one of the things that I think sets Crestview apart from basically any other club or any other facility in town is the fact that you've got options. You don't have to play the same course every single time. You know, you've got two uh, great golf courses to play whenever you want to, which is awesome.
2: Yeah, no doubt. You know, we're we're sitting here talking about golf, but it's, it's very interesting, the the dynamics uh, that's changed. Number one, 20 years ago, you would have never thought about really taking your kiddos to the country club. You know, that was mom and dad. And that was mom and dad time. And you had a, a babysitter at home. And there is a paradigm shift happening across this country. Um you've got your golf exclusive clubs. You're always going to have those obviously wing foot, you know, and congressional and some of those really uh, strong back East clubs, but the majority of the clubs um, have, have a huge shift towards families and Crestview is no different. I mean, uh, we tore out our old pro shop downstairs and, and built a kid's cave and uh, you know, put a splash pad in at the pool. And so it's interesting that golf, To a certain degree, is not is no longer the primary focus for a lot of young families, and it's very it's very interesting that, you know, hey Scott, I've got you know three kids, and I'm coaching volleyball and mayb basketball, and I love golf, but I I just don't have a lot of time. So that's been interesting over the past ten years to kind of wrap your head around that being in this industry to not just just talk about golf, but talk about all the other things that are happening uh, specifically at Crestview and the. The social calendar and you know kids chasing two thousand Easter eggs around it. So it's it's been a little bit different, but you're right. Um, no disrespect to any other club in Wichita, but um, w- the amenities that Crestview offers and the two golf courses and four indoor tennis courts. We just built uh, what's well, a year old now. Two indoor TrackMan golf simulators. So we really. Converted the club, even though as we go through the wintertime, really to a year round club and our membership numbers continue to rise every single year. And I don't know, I'd like to think that maybe it was, you know, because they like me or I was some great (laughs) person, but it's really not. We have an incredible membership. Um, Gosh, over the half the members that uh, that I've joined this year have been from member referrals. That is a pretty, pretty astonishing number. And I think it just goes to show, um, you know, what we're all about um, and the team effort really required from the members and the department heads and all the frontline employees at the club.
0: Scott, do you know if there's going to be a way for folks in Wichita, you know, and I know you already mentioned, you know, the the backyard parties that will be going on, you know, for the Wichita Open. But, I mean, whether it's you guys or the, or the Wichita Open, is there going to be some social media or, you know, any type of online interactive, like, Hey, I want to be a part of this at least in some degree that folks can kind of tune into.
2: Yeah. Unfortunately, I I don't know that I I had heard today at the club that, um, and this makes sense, some of the corporate sponsors. um, And again, I'm not speaking on behalf of the Wichita open. I just heard this, that there might be a few people out there as a corporate sponsor that sponsor that get to bring one guest. Hmm. So um, yeah, there may be a few, a few people walking around, um, but I haven't, uh, haven't really heard about how they might try to, uh, broadcast that through social media or anything like that. So I don't know.
1: It's almost- I do know that, uh, I was going to say Weston, I do know that at least the, I think that the two weekend rounds are going to be broadcast on radio. I, I do know that. So I think there is an opportunity for, uh, folks locally to, if they want to follow the action, at least,
0: you know, on with audio, I think there's going to be radio coverage over the weekend. I was just going to add, it's, it's almost like it was set up for a couple of uh, young, fun podcasters to really take charge and let you know what's going on.
2: Right.
1: Looks
2: yeah. like an opening. Looks like an opening.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I definitely throw my hat in the ring for that. Hey, Scott, um, you know, one, one question that I wanted to, to ask you about, uh, and I know you touched on it a little bit, and, and even Weston talked about it, kind of piggybacked piggybacking off uh, what he said a little bit ago about, you know, how he was just really a casual fan of golf, you know, before the pandemic hit, and now he's finding himself following it more and more and more. I know, Scott, you mentioned the membership has grown, uh, you know, for for Crestview, but I think that there's also, you know, kind of that perception shift. I know that you had mentioned a lot more families are joining and that sort of thing, uh, but I would imagine the demographics are shifting a lot younger. And, you know, I know for me, I'll just kind of tell you you know my story throughout my 20s, you you know, I, I usually just play golf at public courses and I enjoyed them. I had a good time, but I, and I always thought that joining a club was sort of out of my reach. It was unattainable. You know, you have to be super wealthy and a certain status or whatever, you know, to, to join somewhere. And I never thought that was really something that, that I could do. Talk a little bit about some of the things that, you know, I know you mentioned the kids cave and that sort of thing, but some of the perception shifters, uh, that I think that, that maybe Crestview has done over the last couple of years to accommodate for that.
2: Yeah, right. I mean, number one, stuffy and formal, right? I mean, yeah. that's what uh, cell phone policies, you know, you got to wear a coat and tie to to dinner. And um, gosh, would, how appropriate from a, from a discrimination standpoint, you know, with sure. what's kind of going on too, and racial discrimination and all those kinds of things. Um, and again, I think for... Uh, Most country clubs um, to position themselves for the future, um, they probably need to to take a look at that. Crestview did. We have a very casual um, dress code. Uh, We still require our members to, you know, tuck their shirts in and and some of those types of things. But, gosh, I don't know how you can run a a country club now and tell a member that they can't have a cell phone. We all have it it's what we do now. Certainly we ask them to, you know, step out if they need to, to, to take a call or something, but no, Tommy, you're, you're exactly right. There, there was a really bad perception and you went through that same thing. Do I belong? I mean, you know, is my family even going to fit in? And the number one thing I try to do for any prospective member coming out um, with no obligation to join at all, is just come out and see the club. Come out and talk to me. Look at who is out there. Um, look at the diversity in our membership and who is there. And let's walk around and look at the pool and let's talk to some department heads and, and try to get them comfortable um, to the point where they, they can see themselves there. And, um, you know, there's two different ways to say, who are you? And I think the old club is, well, who are you? (laughs) And at Crestview, I'd like to think that we go, well, who are you? Hi, my name's Scott, you know, and welcome. And, and so that's really the big, the big shift, but you're, you're absolutely right. It's still something, there's probably people out there right now thinking, gosh, we just, we don't belong. Uh, But the casual nature, the, you know, you try to think of an adjective, uh, flexible and, and fun. I mean, who doesn't, Want to go somewhere that's that's not fun? I mean, all of those things really pertain um, to Crestview, and uh, kind of makes my job easy. That's that's kind of nice.
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, just from from my perspective, and you know, from the several years that I've been. You know, at Crestview, I've, I've, made, I've made a bunch of friends that I didn't have before and that I wouldn't otherwise have, you know, aside from, you know, sort of the camaraderie there, you know, at the club, which is, which is outstanding. We would be remiss to not mention the charitable contributions for not only the Wichita Open, but also Crestview. So in 2019, the Wichita Open had over $200,000 worth of charitable contributions to local nonprofits. That's on top of the $6.5 million that is pumped into the Wichita Economy on a year-to-year basis due to the Wichita Open. So, you know, there's obviously a huge impact for that week, for the tournament, uh, for the local economy. I know it's a little bit different this year, but but also for the charitable contributions, which which I know the folks of the Wichita Open are are very proud of, and and they should be. But Crestview, also, um, you know, you're not uh, you're not sitting on the sidelines, you know, not doing anything with charitable contributions. Uh, Scott Crestview has really jumped in big time, especially during the pandemic.
2: Yeah. We just talked about, you know, perception and, and uh, we got together as a club and, um, Hey, let's face it. our, our members, uh, probably in a little bit different situation than, than maybe some people out there, but the old country club mentality is, Hey, you're, you're on your own. Right. right. And, right. and that's not, uh, that's not what we did. So we stepped up and asked our members, to donate out of their own pocket, money for a cause a cause called uh, Concert Cares. Um, Concert Golf is the uh, parent company that owns Crestview Country Club, and you can't just sit back and see all these people that were starving and needing food and uh, shelter or whatever it is. So we raised over five thousand uh, dollars in a pandemic when. Even if you're a member at Crestview, hey, every, everybody had to kind of watch their dollars a little bit. But our membership stepped up, donated over $5,000, and we have, to this day, still delivered and delivering meals to local fire departments, police stations, um, some other places that have asked to remain anonymous, uh, really, really good causes, um, individual families, and it is... Uh, Guys, you can walk through that club and and be so proud of so many things, but when you go hand a meal or meals uh, to somebody that is in dire need, um, there's there's no amount of money um, that can that can take that back, and that has been a real joy uh, to do. And and uh, it, again, you know, from our membership standpoint, I said before in talking about the number of referrals that come to me and stepping up to do stuff like this. Um, truly an honor to be there.
1: That's awesome, Scott. If there are people out there that are are listening to this and, you know, they've maybe thought, man, I I've always kind of thought in the back of my mind to be really neat to, you know, maybe be a part of a a country club like Crestview, or I'm, I'm an avid golfer, but I've never really had a place to go and they want to get in touch with you. They want to find out more about the club and uh, all the different things going on. What's the best way for them to do so?
2: They can go right to our website, uh, CrestviewCountryClub.com. Um, I think my mugshot is in there somewhere. They can just <laughs> click right on my picture. Um, or they can just call me direct, 316-733-1344. And my extension right to my desk is 603. And yeah, uh, would love to at least be able to chat to see if there's if there's something there um, that, that would fit their family and fit their needs.
1: That's awesome. We'd love to have you back on the, on the show soon. Maybe when we get a little bit closer to the 100 year anniversary of Crestview and some of those really cool events and things that are planned are uh, into motion. Maybe we can have you back. We can talk a little bit more about that.
2: Guys, I'd do it any, any time Weston and Tommy. I really appreciate it.
1: That's awesome. Scott, thank you so much for being on the show, man.
2: All right, guys. See you later.
1: So that's Scott Welsh. He is the director of membership for Crestview Country Club. Of course, the Wichita Open really begins in full force this weekend and through next week with a bunch of different sponsor events and pro-ams and uh, things like that. But of course, the actual tournament kicks off Thursday at Crestview Country Club. You know, Weston, I know it's going to be a lot different out there uh, with no spectators, but uh, I definitely think it's
0: great that the tournament
1: is going on and it wasn't totally canceled.
0: Yeah, definitely, and, and certainly appreciate Scott coming on and talking with us. Uh, it makes me feel like that. I don't know. You keep calling me part of the media. It makes me feel more and more like I'm part of the media when we have folks that actually are interested in and in coming on our show and, and talking about what they have got what they've got going on in Wichita.
1: Yeah, so definitely if you were uh, just listening to that interview and you want to find out more uh, about Crestview or anything that they have going on, just make sure to visit them online and find them on social media. And I know Scott would be more than happy to talk to you about that. So we are going to transition away from golf and the Wichita Open and dive into some Kansas City Chiefs talk. Of course, week two is coming up on Sunday. The Chiefs go on the road to the West Coast to take on the Los Angeles Chargers. It's a late Sunday afternoon matchup. For the Chiefs and the Chargers, of course, on the West Coast. The Chiefs are 1-0 and after their decisive week one victory at home to kick off the season against the Houston Texans. The Chargers are also 1-0 and as they started their season with a win. Weston, what are you looking forward to the most for this Sunday's matchup?
0: You know, it's I think really we're at the point with the, with the Chiefs where you look more about, okay, what does the opposing team bring to the table that, that we need to neutralize? And I say that, I mean, that sounds so obvious, but we're to a point now where you expect the offense to just produce and produce very close to the level it it consistently does. So more more. what do the Chargers bring to the table that that we have to neutralize? Now, before I jump into that, with the one exception with the Chargers of stopping Joey Bosa, he's, I mean, he's an electric, he's one of the best demons of linemen in all of football. Um, He's right there behind uh, you know, Aaron Donald and Chris Jones, then the Bosa brothers themselves uh, are probably next right up there, you know, with the in, in that J.J. Watt category. Um, but with that being said, really, you got to look at, at the Chargers offense and, and kind of what they're doing. We got Tyrod Taylor, at quarterback this year. It'll be definitely different. And I'm almost a little disappointed that we won't get to uh, Boo and and uh jeer on uh phyllis rivers and yes i said phyllis for those i, I haven't I, since we were not doing this last year I, you, our listeners may not know what i'm a consistent phyllis rivers uh fan i guess you'll call it uh but disappointed he won't be in town tyrod taylor brings a whole different skill set he moves around he is a little older now um but still moves moves very well uh so you'll have to keep an eye on him then there, they lost Melvin Gordon after last year, but we'll see more of Austin Eckler, who we saw last year, as well as Melvin Gordon. But Austin Eckler, being the feature back, he kind of provides a little something different that not a lot of NFL running backs do. He, well, I, honestly, a good comparison is Clyde edwards hilaire You know, he he's smaller, he runs the ball really well, but I think he's kind of highlighted by his pass catching ability out of the backfield, and they'll use him all over the field. Um, obviously majority of the snaps will be from the backfield, but they'll, they'll throw them out in the slot and bring in, you know, another running back to pair with him to kind of give you a non-traditional look. And I I really think if you stop or slow down Austin Eckler, this team is very beatable. The other weapon, I suppose you, you could say that the chargers have, and, and we all know is Keenan Allen, who has done pretty well against Kansas city consistently in the past, but he doesn't have Philip Rivers throwing him the ball anymore. I like Tyrod Taylor, but he's not Philip Rivers. I think if you can make the Chargers one-dimensional in, in any facet, whether it's what I would think, shutting down Austin Eckler, make them try to throw the ball to Keenan Allen consistently, I think that's a winning formula. Or vice versa, completely take Keenan Allen off the field and say, hey, we're going to let the other guys beat you. I think that's kind of what you're looking at uh, coming into week two.
1: I think part of the reason that, uh, you know, Keenan Allen has had so much success against the Chiefs over the years is a couple of reasons. I think it's twofold. Number one is the fact that, you know, the last couple of years, especially the Chiefs have had to really lock in on both Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler. Now, obviously, Melvin Gordon is no longer with that team. And also, you know, for as much grief as both you and I historically have, you know, we we gave Philip Rivers throughout his entire career with the Chargers you know, Tyrod Taylor throwing Keenan Allen the football is much different than Phillip Rivers, you know, and and he loved that connection with Keenan Allen. So, you know, I think that, I think those two reasons are also big. And you also can't discount the fact that, historically, the Chiefs really haven't had a great secondary overall, you know, over the last several years when Keenan Allen, you know, has been playing for the Chargers. And, you know, this year is really no exception to that. So I'm, I'm really going to have my eyes peeled on what Keenan Allen can do with the banged up Chiefs secondary, you know, Charvarius Ward. There are reports that he might try to play on Sunday. That's according to a report from Nate Taylor, who uh, says that he's doing well. He has a chance to play in Sunday's game. Um, you know, that, that report came out on Wednesday. So his participation in practice will uh, be critical to determine if he'll be able to suit up or not. But you have to imagine, even if he does play, you know, he's going to be less than hundred uh, percent, you know, might not be, uh, you know, super effective. Um, so I am really going to have my eyes peeled on that Keenan Allen chief secondary matchup. You know, like you mentioned, Allen likes playing against Kansas city. So um you know if i were picking a fantasy football team or maybe a daily fantasy squad I don't know if I could overlook Keenan Allen on Sunday taking on the Chiefs secondary. He could have a pretty big game. Well,
0: and you certainly expect Chargers to be in catch up mode at all times. I don't think this defense that the Chargers have can slow down Kansas City, so they're going to be throwing the ball a lot from a game script perspective. Uh, you would certainly anticipate them trying to force the ball to Keenan Allen early and often. Um, you know, so I think on the flip side of that is is I'm curious to see how Legereus Need responds. You know, he had a great week one, um, but he certainly did not. He, di- yeah. he didn't see a Keenan Allen type talent over there. So, uh, you know, I, I expect that that'll be a matchup that we'll keep an eye on, but you know, uh, on the flip side, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Trevarius Ward go. And if he does, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. Just not being a, he, I mean, obviously not a hundred percent, but kind of given the position he's in, you know, they're going to have a, a club or he'll be wrapped, casted with that hand, you know, he, he There's not a lot that he loses. Obviously, we all know DB's grab and hold, even though that's a penalty. That's part of it. So that's kind of the 100% he won't have. But other than that, he should be able to just, you know, get up there, bat balls down. Um, but you're right. It won't quite be the same. uh You know, and another thing, I, as I'm kind of scrolling through the injury report, and, I, you know, obviously we are talking about Trevarius Ward. Um, Another, I spoke earlier about Joey Bosa. He actually did not practice on Wednesday and was a limited participant on Thursday with a triceps injury. So that will be a huge blow for the Chargers as far as putting pressure on Patrick Mahomes. And then on the, on the, yeah. I was just gonna say on the chief. On oh, the go ch- ahead, continue. Yeah, on the chief on the chief side, you know it is the injuries kind of are what we expected. Alex Okafor did not practice with a hamstring. Kalen Saunders, we know he's going to be out for a few weeks with that dislocated elbow. He didn't practice, um, but other than that, and then again, Trevier Ward didn't practice. Everyone healthy for the Chiefs, so very positive sign.
1: Yeah, that's good. I mean, you know, as we're looking at different matchups, you know, obviously in a lot of the different phases of the game, especially offensively, you know, the the Chiefs match up really well and they always have. There's a reason why I think I read that what Kansas City has won 11 out of the last 12 matchups against the Chargers or some something stupid like that. I mean, it was, you know, something ridiculous. Um, But there are a couple of matchups that I don't want to say they necessarily favor uh, Los Angeles, but it could be a toss up or it could be something to keep our eyes on. I think Keenan Allen and the Chiefs secondary is one of them. The other one to keep our eyes on, in my opinion, is the Chiefs offensive line versus the linebacking core uh, for the Chargers. Now, obviously, as you mentioned, Joey Joey Bosa, there's a question mark there about how, you know, if he's going to be able to play and then if he'll be super effective. But you have to imagine, if he gets on the field you know he's he's going to be disruptive that's just the kind of player that he is but he's not the only one melvin ingram Linville joseph jerry tillery you know that that's probably the strongest uh grouping that the chargers have especially defensively you know the chiefs offensive line wasn't awesome in week one, but I didn't think it was super terrible. Um, But I definitely would say that the chargers have a stronger linebacking core than what the Texans had. Um, You know, I think we mentioned on, you know, when we were previewing week one, um, you know, that outside really of JJ Watt defensively, you know, there, there really isn't a whole lot there for Houston. So, you know, obviously JJ Watts, not a linebacker, but, but you get the drill or, you know, you understand that. So really at the end of the day, I think that that those are things to definitely keep our eyes on for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're definitely right. The the only thing I I will add to that is, you know, if you do have Joey Bosa out, that makes such a huge difference because, if Joey Bosa is on the field, you're double teaming at all times. And whether that's actually two offensive linemen focused on Bosa, or as I've talked a hundred times over the tight end chipping, the running back chipping, running plays away from him, that that's what you're going to do. If he's out, you know, really there's no one on that, on that defensive line, that front seven that concerns me like he does. Melvin Ingram is, is a very good football player, but if it's just him, and you're double teaming him every time. Now you're making Linville, jo- Joseph, Justin Jones, making those guys try to beat you. And that's not the same conversation as when that, that front group is together because that front group, like you said, it, it is very strong unit. So it will be something to watch.
1: Yeah. You know, we also need to keep our eyes open for Austin Eckler. I know we talked about him, uh, you know, at the very beginning of this segment about, you know, how he really has, um, you know, taken over that lead back role, especially with Melvin Gordon gone and off to Denver. Eckler didn't get a ton of touches and he wasn't, you know, super effective. Uh, in week one against the Bengals, he was—I would say—he was kind of middle of the road in week one for the Chargers. But I would imagine his usage will increase, uh, you know, as the weeks go yeah. on. I wouldn't uh, be surprised to see him touch the ball a lot more than he did uh, against the Bengals in week one. I think he I think he was more effective as a, a pass catcher out of the backfield in week one against the Bengals uh, than he actually was running the football. So we'll have to keep our eyes on that, you know, for sure. And then, of course, what more is there to say, you know, about the? the Chiefs offensively, you know, um, the the weapons that Kansas City has, everybody is pretty healthy. I think the one question mark uh, that we didn't really touch on Weston the last time we talked about the Chiefs as we recapped week one on uh, the last episode. Um, But I I do want to get your thoughts on uh, the struggles that Clyde Edward Alaire had in goal line sets. Obviously, he was incredibly effective throughout the entire game against the Texans, except when the Chiefs would give him the ball at the goal line. And it does look like I I did read a report that the Chiefs are not going to stray away from that, that uh, that that thought process to have Edwards Alaire run the ball on a goal to go set. Is there anything to be concerned about there or is it just sort of he's a rookie? It was his first game and, you know, luck of the draw. He got stuffed and, you know, as he's trying to run it up the middle, uh, you know, several different
0: times on goal to go. As far as we're concerned about Claude Edwards, there is zero, zero to be worried about from my initial watching. And what that's without going back and, you know, rewatching the tape to me, it looked like poor blocking up front. And I think that's more of your concern. I mean, he was getting met in the backfield, you know, a half yard behind the line of scrimmage there's not much you any running back aside from maybe Derrick Henry can do in that situation. So I'm not concerned at all. I think at that point in the game, um, I mean, you certainly don't want to use this as an excuse. But you know, the game pretty much being sealed. At that point, I think there was probably just some lackadaisical play up front is more my suspicion and what I initially saw uh, when I was watching the game live.
1: Yeah, so we'll obviously you know see how everything pans out for week two for Kansas City. We talked about it when we were previewing the season for the Chiefs a week ago about how you know the Chiefs are favored in pretty much every game this season. Um, you know they're definitely the team to beat. They've got a target on their back week in and week out. This will be the first road test for Kansas City on Sunday, going out to their rivals in Los Angeles. Uh, I you know I, I think we 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 got to do this every time we have a Chiefs game coming up. Is you know our prediction for for the score final score for the game. So I'm going to let you lead that off. What are you thinking for the chiefs and chargers on Sunday in Los Angeles?
0: Um, boy, I went, I shot for the fences last, last week and it, it definitely kind of missed. I mean, the, you know, definitely there were some points on the board after a slow start, it picked up. If I could have got some first a better first quarter action, I might've been on, but I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick with the theme and go points. I'm going to say 38, 10. I think, I, I think the Chargers are, are a bad football team where they're at right now. Um, I definitely liked what the Texans brought to the table much more than than what the um, Chargers are bringing to the table. So I'm, I'm going to go go out there again with big points and a big spread and say 38-10 Kansas City. I'm
1: going to go a little bit, um, you know, kind of in the same vein that you did. You know, if the Chiefs beat the Texans by two touchdowns, the Texans are a better football team than the Chargers are. There's no doubt about that. Um, And so I I don't think this is even going to be anything remotely resembling a contest. I think Kansas City wins this game. 42-14 is the final score. I think they put up more points than they did against the Texans, and they hold the Chargers to fewer points, than they gave up against Houston in week one. So 42-14 is my prediction for week two. And of course, we'll recap uh, everything on the next episode of Keeper of the Games. We're going to get into some Kansas City Royals talk, believe it or not, the baseball season is not over. And really, it's not even over for the Royals. I know that just a few weeks ago when we were talking about Kansas City, we were like, yeah, the playoffs are out of reach. It's not going to happen for them. And more than likely, it probably won't. But right now, I believe the Royals set it a record of 21 and 29, I think is when I last looked at it. So they're eight games under 500. But with expanded playoffs, you never know they're not mathematically out of it quite yet and the royals have looked you know pretty good i mean there have been sparks of you know positive momentum for this kansas city team what have you seen for the royals over the last week or so
0: you know so uh, really i think the thing that we're going to focus on right now is really the future of the pitching and and i want to talk about this real quick and then go back because the royals are in fact in this race, and I and I want to talk about that. Uh, so I feel like I'm almost kind of letting down this season by by starting here. But the future of the Royals is what we've saw over the last you know week of really good baseball of the Royals, and particularly the the continued dominance of Brad Keller and the emergence, I, I guess I'll use that word of Brady Singer. Those two absolutely have dominated over the last few weeks of baseball. And that is such a bright spot for the Royals because I, it's been so long since they've had the, the homegrown talent and uh, Brad Keller being the, the rule five or at uh, rule. Yeah, I think it's rule five draft pick. So not quite homegrown, but within the system, didn't pay for, didn't trade for um, type of, of player. And if you have those two cornerstoning this rotation for the future, things are looking bright for Kansas city. And I, I think, Royals fans should be positive, And that's really what I've taken away from these last two weeks. Now, going back to this season and, and what, what I've seen, what, what I'm looking at for 2020 is they're in this race. I mean, there is baseball still left to be played and they very well could wind up in the playoffs. Am I predicting it? no. But I mean, you might want to be tuned in this last week and a half. Here's the thing. Royals have 10 remaining games, Tommy, and they don't play a single team that is over 500 right now. Every single they, they only have three. They play at the Brewers, They've got a three game stand against uh, the Cardinals at home, and then they finish the season with a four game stand um, against Detroit at home. None of those teams over 500. Right now, the Royals are five games out of the wild card spot with 10 remaining all under 500. You have to believe there is an actual path, you know, that I, I, obviously the Royals win 10 games, they get in, that's not happening. Um, they're going to need a little bit of help, but to think that the Royals, you know, could finish this season seven and three, you know, and get a little help with some losses here and there. It's, it's a
1: possibility. It's not out of the realm of possibility at all. In fact, the last 10 games, the Royals are seven and three in those 10 previous games, you know, and they're playing a weaker schedule the final 10 games, and they just completed with the previous 10 that they played and they went seven and three in those games. So they, they have to finish strong. You have to imagine that that's the. The, 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 the mantra from Mike Matheny over and over again is, look, we are not out of this race. We had a stretch of baseball that was super, super poor right in the middle of the season. We didn't get off to a great start. Um but we're not out of it. You know, we've got a chance to, to, to sneak in, to climb into the playoffs, you know, be one of the last teams in. And then at that point, if the Royals are able to do so, I know that we're assuming a lot, uh, you know, to see if they can, can do that. Um, but if they do get in, then the slate is completely wiped clean and the Royals are essentially playing with house money. You know, nobody expected them to make the playoffs. Nobody expected them to get that far. Um, everybody expected them to be in the cellar of the American League Central, which they've spent a a good amount of time in, you know, this season, don't get me wrong. But at that point, if they can sneak into the playoffs, you know, as like the last team in, then who knows what could happen? are they going to go all the way? Probably not. Um, You know, but could they get, you know, an opening series win? You never know. And it depends on who they're, you know, they're, they're, they're sending out to the mound. If it's Brady Singer, which you would have to imagine it probably would be. I mean, I think that there's a good, a good chance that they get a win there. And if you're playing best out of three series, then you just need one more guy, you know, is that, you know, Chris Bubich, you know, is he going to come out? It might be, I don't know, but the Royals have the opportunity, you know, to sneak into the playoffs if they can finish strong and then who knows what
0: can happen from there. So, the, the, the final two teams that are right now in the wild card spot in the American League are the Toronto Blue Jays and the Cleveland Indians. I, I've just pulled up the, the Toronto Blue Jays schedule. They've got three against the Phillies, who's a, a good baseball team. And they've got four against the Yankees, who have absolutely been annihilating the baseball lately. And then they finish with three against the Orioles, who are not your, your 2019, 2018, or 2017 Orioles. They've been playing a, a lot better baseball. I mean, I, I, I would say those are toss-up type games, but they've got a tough schedule to, to finish here. And then if you look at Cleveland, here's where I, I worry about Cleveland. Cleveland's got three against the Tigers, four against the White Sox, three against the Pirates. You think that they're probably going to win, you know, at a minimum half of that, which really kind of puts you out of stealing a spot from the Clevelands, but that Toronto Blue Jays spot, I think is absolutely in play. And and like you said, I mean, they get in the playoffs. We're not, we're not looking at a a world series run. That's, that's not a realistic expectation, but to get these young players who are going to be the cornerstone of this franchise for the next five years, some playoff experience early, fantastic. It'll be, it'll be great for the, the growth of this, of this ball club.
1: You know, I don't think Brady Singer is going to be in the conversation for Rookie of the Year. I, I think that there are a couple of players that are probably above him uh, in that ranking. And and you know, when you look at his overall season stats, you know he's three and four with a just a, an ERA just over four, which isn't awesome. I mean, it's okay, um, but in over the last month or so, he has been the best pitcher in the American League, uh, in my opinion. He has thrown 14 consecutive scoreless innings. Obviously we talked on the last episode or I guess two episodes ago about how he was only four out shy of a no hitter. Um, you know, he is throwing straight fire right now and you have to like the Royals chances, especially if they can sneak into the playoffs about throwing him in a potential game one, if they're able to make it in, but then, then even past that what the Royals rotation, at least with him anchoring it, will look like in the years to come. There are a lot of question marks about what the Royals rotation might look like in, you know, upcoming years and, you know, some of the decisions that have to be made with guys like Danny Duffy. You know, I I, I just saw that there was, um, you know, there was a story about Jacob Junis, uh, he's been assigned to the alternate site for Kansas City. Um, you know, he has not pitched well this season at all for the Royals when he has been a pretty decent pitcher, you know, previous to this shortened season, but, uh, you know, really struggling this year. Of course, it looks like the Matt Harvey experiment is probably not going to last as he's been placed on the injured list. You know, so there, there are some question marks, but you have to like where the Royals rotation, at least the top of that rotation is with guys like Danny Duffy and Brady Singer there.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that's kind of, you know, even another thing when you talk about sinking into the playoffs and you kind of move to a four-man rotation, having Brad Keller, um, you know, Brady Singer, and then Danny Duffy, who has been pitching really well this year. I mean, he is not quite as dominant as he had been in the past, but pitching very, very well. That's a solid three-man rotation. And then finding a, a, you know, a fourth starter really that just matches up is is something to be excited about. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful too, that, that really what we've seen out of Brady Singer is that click moment. I mean, the talent has been there since day one. It's why they drafted him so high. Um, So to kind of see these last two games, seeing this is what Brady Singer is, now that it's clicked and he's figured it out i'm hoping that that's the correct form
1: And there's kind of an embarrassment of riches that the Royals have as far as, you know, pitching prospects are concerned. You know, you think of guys like Asa Lacey, who they just drafted back Mm -hmm. in April. And, you know, then he's not the only one. There are several other pitchers that are in that farm system that, you know, could easily come in as prospects next season, the season after, you know, and really give the Royals a great pitching core. So if you're a Royals fan, even if they miss the playoffs, which it's going to take a lot for them to get in, um, you know, so don't hold your breath about it, but even if they miss the playoffs. You have to be excited about the way the pitching staff is at least going. And then one other note that I want to make about Kansas City, which is I think is going to be big for this final week, this final stretch of games for Kansas City. Uh, you know, Jorge Soler has been on the injured list. He had a strained oblique muscle and it, it looks like reports are that he may be able to rejoin the Royals for the final week of the regular season. He hasn't hit the ball all that great this season, but at least having him back in the lineup, uh, should give the, that, that, uh, that lineup an extra boost and extra spark as they get into that final week
0: yeah absolutely he's definitely one of those bats that other teams regardless of of how he's been hitting over the last week or so they have to respect and they pitch him a little bit differently which helps helps other guys when he can draw a walk and get on base and, and you know put put place or get uh, base runners on and get give guys a chance to knock him in so it'd definitely be a boost to have him back and kind of see that top end of the lineup at uh, at full peak performance.
1: It could end up being a race to the finish for Kansas City, of course, as Weston mentioned, uh, the, the Royals' final schedule. Again, they stand at 21-29, and 29, uh, but this weekend, they're on the road. The final road trip of the season, they take on the Milwaukee Brewers for three games this weekend, and then they're at home for three against the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, and then they finish the season with a four-game stand at home against the Tigers. So you have to wonder what the the next 10 games are going to look like for Kansas City as they wrap up their season. Season And of course, we'll keep you posted as the days go on to see where the Royals end up their season. All right, we're going to get into can you believe it college basketball. It's been a while since we've talked about college basketball on this program. We've been so focused on football and baseball and and the like, but we're talking about college basketball and how it relates to some local schools here in kansas the ncaa says that the college basketball season can start the day before thanksgiving so the ncaa division one council announced on wednesday that the upcoming men's and women's basketball seasons can begin on november 25th that's roughly two weeks later than originally planned and uh, so that's sort of the plan for right now overall for the ncaa now some conferences are are not doing that. You know, we, we've touched on some of the smaller conferences, not playing basketball. They've, you know, decided to cancel their season, uh, so on and so forth. But as of right now, the overall goal for the NCAA is that the majority of their member schools, uh, will begin games on November 25th, or that's at least when the games can start to be scheduled. Your thoughts on the schedule being pushed back a couple of weeks. and, And what does this mean for schools like Kansas, Kansas state and Wichita state?
0: You know, I think it makes a lot of sense. I I, I like it. I mean, I think that you, you push it back, you get things figured out the right way, the best way, so you don't start the season and then immediately run into trouble. Uh, you know, I I think that's that's important. And and ultimately, from a basketball standpoint or a, a compet you know competition competitive standpoint, I, I think it means very little. I, I think it gives these guys just a little bit extra time to to get ready. You know, I mean, I don't know how much the You know, the Fort Hayes State, the Washburn game really gives to Kansas. I think that's, you know, maybe kind of shake some of the jitters at Allen Fieldhouse or Bramblage or Charles Koch when when they schedule these teams. But overall, I think that's a it's a very minor uh, you know, boost for the team or confidence builder for the, these high level, you know, college basketball players. So I think from a c- competitive standpoint, pushing it back, losing some of those exhibition games doesn't really hurt and everything. And, and, and frankly, I'm just glad to see that it looks like we're, you know, on schedule to get things going, you know, the, like the Champions Classic, it looks like it's going to get played, not, you know, maybe not as originally scheduled, uh, but but that's the, the positives that I think you really have to focus on here.
1: The minimum number of games for consideration for the NCAA tournament was cut from twenty-five to only thirteen. So you only have to play thirteen games to then be considered uh, to get a bid into the NCAA tournament. Obviously, that that's not the only criteria, but um, that's the minimum number of games that a team has to play to at least be considered into the tournament. Some of the other things that uh, some of the caveats with this is that uh, exhibition games are not going to be allowed. Charity games are not going to be allowed. That means that this year's charity game that was scheduled for Wichita State and Kansas State will not be played, at least according to the NCAA. Now, I'm not sure, I've not gotten any word from the member schools, from the two teams playing, that that's actually going to be happening. But according to what the NCAA put out on Wednesday, it doesn't look like uh, that game is going to be able to be played. What this really means for Wichita State, though, is as far as their non-conference schedule, there are going to be some changes that they're going to have to make uh, with their non-conference. You know, Games like Sam Houston State, North Texas, Oral Roberts, Western Kentucky... In Central Arkansas, those were all games that were scheduled to be played before, um, you know, my knowledge before the NCAA's start date of November 25th. But some of their marking non-conference games shouldn't be affected. They're playing Oklahoma State. Mississippi and Missouri. So, uh, time will tell. You know, I know that all of these major schools are going back to the drawing board to try to you know take a look at the schedule that they had and try to figure out how to adapt it, how to make it work, uh, how to have everything fit in. You know, to the proper pieces. It's like putting together a puzzle. You know, when the conference season is going to start. So, how do you fill in those blanks? And and really, how do you prioritize what games are the most important? I know that you had just talked about how. You know, what really does a Fort Hay State game or a Washburn or a Pitt State, what does that really mean for Kansas as much as it it doesn't mean as much to them, obviously, as it means to those other schools that are playing them? Um, You know, but you have to start to prioritize and figure out, okay, how are we going to use this limited non-conference schedule? to uh, serve us the best to the best of our advantage. And I would imagine, and maybe you have a different opinion, but I would imagine that it's going to be most important for schools like Kansas and like Wichita State to make sure that they have as many high caliber, high level non-conference games to help for their NCAA tournament resume. Uh, that just seems like the the most common sense thing to do. So I think you're probably going to be seeing a lot of really high level basketball played in the non-conference.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. Uh, you know, I do think I think there's something to be said for padding your wins wins with some of these low level non conference games. You know, when you in you know end the year at you know 21 and nine, or I guess it'd be 21 and 10, that has a very different feel than if we cut some of those easy win games, and now you're you know, finishing, let's see, it's a 20, it's a 27 game schedule. So let's say you finish, you know, 15 and 13. Um, Oh, my math's wrong there. 15 and 12. That just feels different. Even though all you did was cut, you know, some of those easy wins that you should have had anyways. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the committee does with that. Um, assuming, and I'm I'm saying this from a perspective of if some of those easier non-con games are lost, um, obviously not that that's not a, which that's not Washburn or Fort Hayes, those exhibition games that don't count. Um, you know, I do think there's something to be said to kind of padding some wins and really building your team up as well. Getting confidence in your guys, learning some of your system, you know, with an opponent that you can afford to not quite have it down and you're still working on some things before you bust it out in conference play or ultimately in March.
1: Um, I really think that there's that whole thought process about, okay, I get padding your resume. I get, you know, you're in a situation where you have to worry about, okay, how are you making sure that, you know, you are getting the the most, the best wins possible or the best games possible for your program to, to make sure that you do look good, you know, to the committee when, when that time comes now, don't get me wrong. I think that there are absolutely going to be, you know, there's going to have to be a lot of situations that come into play, a lot of um, flexibility from the committee, uh, if you will, about how they're going to pick the teams. I think they're, you know, nobody's going to be happy. Nobody's ever happy, you know, when that when those decisions are made. But at the, at the end of the day, you know, I think this is the right start for sure. You know, as these you know teams and programs have to determine, you know, for non-conference at least, you know, what the best direction is forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and a couple of notes that I, I do want to mention, John Rothstein has reported that uh, they're looking at the the battle of the bubble. And, and if you already mentioned this, Tommy, I apologize. But uh, John Rothstein reported that the Champions Classic uh, is going to be played potentially in Orlando, Florida, in, in Disney's wide world of sports, kind of like the NBA guys are doing right now. That way they can do that in a bubble. Um, I don't think that's official, but that's what John Rothstein's hearing. And then another important note, First reported from Brian Fisher, who's at Athlon Sports. I don't don't know much about that uh, sports site, but uh, March Madness and the NCAA removed the 2020 2021 sites from official listings, meaning all the locations in which March Madness would be played at. Taylor Eldridge of the Wichita Eagle. This was a tweet from 23 hours ago. Said, "I'm told by someone on the committee bringing the NCAA tournament to Wichita in 2021." they're still planning on hosting games in Wichita until they hear otherwise. They met last Thursday with the NCAA and plans have not changed as of today. So good to know that, you know, obviously, as we've said a hundred times on this podcast, Tommy, things consistently change with, with this pandemic and coronavirus and everything. But good to know that as of right now, Wichita is still in line to have that host site in 2021.
1: Yeah, that's big, you know, I I think, you know, and and this is me being pessimistic. I think it's going to be hard for that to actually happen, Um, you know, but that's probably a discussion for a later time. And when there's actually a decision that's made, uh, I think you and I could probably go round and round to uh, talk about, whether or not that's a good thing or the right thing or whatever the decision is made. uh, We'll definitely keep our eyes peeled on that and talk about it when the time comes. A couple of other quick notes about college basketball before we move on uh, is that for Wichita State, uh, you know, they were going to be playing the battle for Atlantis. And, you know, they're in the in the lineup of teams to play in that tournament. Uh, The news broke earlier this week that the tournament is relocating from the Bahamas To the Sanford Pentagon in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and there will be a small number of fans allowed in attendance. Um, you know, it's it's a huge, I think, huge difference playing in the Bahamas than playing in South Dakota. But at least they're <laughs> going to get a chance uh, to play. They're playing uh, as of right now. Uh, the teams are Duke, Ohio State, Creighton, West Virginia, Memphis, Texas A and M, and Utah. Uh, right now, the tournament is scheduled to be uh, to, to start on November twenty fifth and conclude November twenty seventh. So that could potentially be the season opening tournament for those teams. Uh, or I guess they could push it back, but uh, no decision has been made there as of yet. And then for the University of Kansas, I think you mentioned the Champions Classic and what that might look like. Um, that's originally set for November 10th. Obviously, more than likely, that's going to have to change. Uh, but I think you mentioned, too, that, um, that, that right as of right now, the reports are that it could be played at Disney Wide World of Sports uh, against Kentucky, Michigan State, and Duke are the four teams, of course, with KU uh, there as well. And KU uh, it was supposed to be playing in the Wooden Legacy Tournament. Um, that's set for November 27th. That's going to be heading towards Orlando, uh, and the teams for that will be KU, Virginia, Georgetown, and UCLA. So um, I I think the schedule makers are, I don't envy them right now. They've got a lot to get to and a lot to figure out in the short period of time what things are going to look like for college basketball. But at least, you know, the positive is that it looks like there will be at least a, a confirmed start date for college basketball. Uh, in November, and it'll it'll be Thanksgiving weekend. So, um, you know, not only will you get to watch your Thanksgiving football, but also maybe some uh, Thanksgiving college basketball as well. Let's get right into our Wichita whip around here on Keeper of the Games. And you know, Weston, the last time we had a Wichita whip around, we talked about prep football, and I admitted that I was so ill prepared to talk about prep football in the Wichita metro, and I vowed that I would be ready to talk prep football today, and I thought I was and we've had some technical difficulties and I have lost everything that I had pulled up to talk about prep football. So I'm going to kind of play it by ear, but uh, we are getting into week three for prep football for the Wichita area and the city league is back as well. The one thing that I remembered off the top of my head is that, uh, Wichita East high school absolutely laid it on Wichita South in their opening game. Uh, and so that's probably the biggest thing that I can remember and I'll pull some different things up as we're talking about it, but anything stand out to you? Uh, from the last week in prep football
0: no and you know unfortunately I, i'm kind of right there with you on this but i mean you know east blue aces be, being uh, uh i've played some pretty good football over the last few years so i don't know about that. that's that's probably not a surprising result uh putting it on south high there but excited to see really the city league open it up in, in northwest uh you know i've got a soft spot for uh, coach marinelli in the northwest grizzlies just because uh I played for for coach Marinelli so excited to see what what they can do and and get a get a chance to really kind of break down and see where these teams are going to wind up yeah,
1: I know that uh, Bishop Carroll beat Cape and Mount Carmel, um, which, you know, that's really not a huge surprise because Bishop Carroll has historically dominated that rivalry over the last several years. Um, you know, and, and so there there are some, you know, other big, huge City League games. One of the ones to keep our eyes on, this isn't a, a City League game, uh, but probably the biggest high school football game of the year is this weekend, and that's Derby at Bishop Carroll. Um, that's probably the game of the week for sure. In the Wichita Metro, I would think, um, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how Derby, they struggled in week one a little bit and, you know, and and week two, they didn't as much, but, um, if they're traveling to Bishop Carroll, who historically it has a pretty strong football program, that's gotta be a juggernaut of a matchup in week three, especially in the Wichita Metro.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, absolutely. And anytime you can get programs like that together, I mean, Bishop Carroll, Long, long standing history of being, I don't know, I don't, dominant or, you know, up there every year competing, you know, at a, at a high level, I think is, is something that really is just expected now, you know, with that program and, and more, yeah. more the same out of them this year, e- even with, a, you know, a, playing a little bit of a closer game with Cave of Mount Carmel than they normally do.
1: So I, I misspoke. I thought that East beat uh, South. They actually beat North High. And the final score of that game, I believe, was 80-0. to Uh, East scored a school record 80 points in their season opening win uh, against North. Uh, So that was uh, obviously a huge win for East High, Wichita South. Uh, I apologize that I said that South lost to East because they didn't. They actually beat Southeast uh, in week number one. Uh, So that was big for them as well. And like I mentioned, Bishop Carroll uh, beat Capon. Uh, and they've actually beat Capen every year since 1999. And they got a three-point victory against Capen Mount Carmel uh, last weekend. Derby got their first win of the season. Uh, we just talked about their huge matchup uh, week three at Bishop Carroll. They uh, beat Newton. Uh, so that was good for Derby. They were able to get on uh, the back to their winning ways in week number two. And then a few other... Uh, you know, area schools to mention Andover picked up their first win last week against Arkansas Kansas City 21 to nothing. Mays beat Campus High. 41 to 14 and collegiate beat Wellington 56 to three. And then the other game of note to mention that didn't get played last week was the game between Bueller and Andover central was canceled after a player tested positive for COVID-19. I think we might see some of that happening throughout the season, hopefully not a lot of it. And we can get through the whole season, uh, you know, pretty well unscathed. That's the goal for sure uh, for all the prep uh, prep teams in the Wichita Metro. So that's just a quick recap. And, you know, I vowed last week, that i would have my crap together for prep football i promise that next week for sure i will have everything all together to talk more in depth about high school football uh in the wichita metro um you know i'm not afraid to say we probably owe our listeners a little bit better than that if we're talking about wichita sports to know a little bit more about prep football so maybe you and i can both vow again that we'll have uh more in-depth details about prep football on on the next episode
0: yeah absolutely i mean you know Well, even after two weeks of not necessarily being as in-depth as we would like, you usually don't have to to really convince me too much to, to talk some good football. So I'm in on that.
1: There you go. Well, that's our Wichita whip around here on Keeper of the Games. Let's wrap up the show with our finally funny here today. We're we have to get our obligatory mention in for Patrick Mahomes. Have to talk about him, you know, at least a little bit here on the podcast, like we're contractually obligated to do. Uh, and as at the time of this recording, we're recording this on Thursday evening. The show obviously drops on Friday, but uh, Thursday today is. Uh, Pat's birthday, his 25th birthday. So happy birthday to Patrick Mahomes. the guy has accomplished more at 25 than I will ever accomplish in my entire life. Uh, he's had himself a pretty amazing year.
0: Uh, yeah, 20 I mean it's, it's hard to even wrap your brain around the fact that the man is only 25, 25 years old, 500 million dollar contract, getting married, Super Bowl champ, M- League MVP. The man's got it all. And, you know, I think the direction you're headed with this finally funny, Tommy, was the uh, wonderful 25th birthday cake that was sent to him by Coors Light uh, as he has some sort of endorsement deal with Coors Light. Uh, I think I had tweeted a while back that he's going to have everybody in Kansas City switching from their uh, Bud Light or Bush Light to to Coors. And and, uh, I think this birthday cake might just seal the deal.
1: Yeah, if you have not seen the birthday cake that Coors sent to Pat Mahomes, uh, we'll, we should try to post that on our Twitter page. That way, you know, folks can go there uh, and, and see that. It was pretty impressive. They sent him that birthday cake, um, you know, and, and God bless him. I mean, you know, I, I like Coor's Light. I mean, I like any kind of beer. Uh, I've never had a beer birthday cake before, so that's um, I mean that that's that's pretty high praise, I think, from Coors Light. And I don't really re- ever remember them sending anybody else any kind of Coors Light birthday cake either. So uh, Pat Mahomes is in rarefied air there, uh, I think, with uh, with Coors.
0: Yeah, absolutely. His t- his tweet that he uh, when he sent out the picture of the cake said, "Chill way to start the birthday. Thanks for the cake at Coors Light." Uh, and the mountains were blue, so I wonder how the how the actual cake actually tasted. Maybe that's just the uh, that's just the few, the former defensive lineman in me that wants to know. Okay, well, how was the cake? Well, yeah, no, without a doubt, I'm sure it was absolutely <laughs> incredible. And
1: on top of that, uh, I know that Coors Light made a pretty big donation uh, to Pat's uh, nonprofit, um, and, and so that's awesome too. I don't know off the top of my head exactly how much. Uh, of a donation they made, but um, you know, that's, that's big too. So not only did they send him a, a great birthday cake, but also they were able to make a donation to uh, his foundation as well.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And Pat's been doing a lot, in, you know, in the community, you're kind of seeing him around everywhere. So uh, real, I think everybody in Kansas City is, is, you know, very happy to have him a part of the community. And, and I know as we're shifting this final funny into something serious, but he, you know, he's already giving back a lot. And I think that shows, uh, you know, the maturity for a 25 year old, uh, you know, beyond his years for sure. Well, happy birthday to Pat Mahomes,
1: 25. And uh, hopefully he's got many, many, many more years in Kansas city to come many more birthdays to celebrate, I think with, uh, with all the Mahomes out there for sure. So happy birthday to Pat Mahomes. That's going to wrap up this episode of keeper of the games. We've had a few technical difficulties in this show. Um, hopefully if you're listening, you, you won't be able to tell that much, but it's been kind of a um, I don't want to say a train wreck. It's been kind of a challenging show uh, to get through. I am glad, though, that we were able to get through our awesome interview with Scott Welsh without a hitch. It's just everything after that interview uh, was was kind of went haywire today yeah. for some reason.
0: Yeah, real, real weird day, but we battled through it only took us about uh, two hours to record a one hour podcast. But uh, hey, we did it. And so I hope you guys enjoy it.
1: Yeah, we got through it. Hopefully the audio sounds great. If you're watching the video, uh, I think probably a few different times there, you know, you might see some weird cuts there. And I had different things happening where I'm pulling up different web pages, and I hate autoplay. I hate how these videos just start playing and then they're in my ears and I'm trying to talk. I know that happened to you last week. And I think that there should be, I will vote for president for whoever outlaws autoplay videos on websites. Like that will, that person will get my vote for sure on the upcoming election.
0: Yeah. Also, if we have any listeners out there that are a little more tech savvy than Tommy and I, and you, there's some sort of feature that we just need to do to turn that off. I think we <laughs> both would appreciate that very well, very much.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. Hopefully, though, if you're listening to the podcast, you'll never know that that even happened other than the fact that we told you about that. But hope you enjoyed this episode. A special thank you to Scott Welsh, director of membership from Crestview Country Club for coming on the show. We'd love to have him back at some point. Um, Great interview. Uh, And definitely uh, make sure to follow the Wichita Open next weekend uh, as it's at Crestview Country Club. Of course, no spectators are allowed due to COVID-19, but uh, it's always a great tournament and some future stars for golf uh, inevitably make their way through Wichita. So it's always a fun time next weekend at Crestview Country Club. Uh, Also, don't forget to hit subscribe. So whenever we have a new episode, you'll get a notification. Again, you can listen on platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many, many more. You can watch full episodes. I wouldn't recommend watching this one necessarily, but you can watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. Maybe just listen to this one, but either way, that's totally good. Uh, You can watch those episodes again on YouTube and Facebook and on our website, cogpod.weebly.com, and of course, You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod at K-O-G-Pod. Weston, hit them with your Twitter handle.
0: At WMills94.
1: You can follow me for sure. Anytime at tweets from Tommy until next time, hopefully fingers crossed. Uh, we have better technical, uh, no technical issues, a better technical production of the show, but we'll be back with a new episode of Keeper of the Games next week for Weston Mills. I'm Tommy Caster. Have a good Take one.
0: Care. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook, and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Kog Pod. That's K-O-G Pod.